This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, enjoy today's message with Travis Bronner. Uh, we are continuing in our series, uh, The Kingdom of Heaven, and as we've hit on a couple of times, The Kingdom of Heaven, uh, synonymous with the Kingdom of God, depending on which gospel you're reading, and today we're covering the parable of the net. And ha- have you ever been to a foreign country, somewhere like Texas or Arkansas, <laughs> or, or maybe an actual other country, or even another state, moved to a new town, started a new job, gone to a new school, been in a new environment where you didn't really know kind of how things worked, and at some point maybe someone pulled you aside and said, said these words, let me tell you how things work around here. Because you need to know, right? You, you don't know either the written or unwritten rules, kind of some, some details, because clearly you're not from here. Let me tell you how things work around here. In this series that we're going through with the parables teaching us about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is just that. This is Jesus telling us how things work around here. And again, kingdom of heaven, synonymous with the kingdom of God, And let's look at that to understand exactly what that is. What is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? Well, look at the first word, which is kingdom, which simply means a king's domain. That over which the king has domain. And what does God have domain over? Everything. Everything. Now, kingdom of heaven tells us also that it's not just the created universe and everything that we can see and hear and touch uh, here in our experience. But also it includes not just earth, but also heaven, because God's kingdom includes heaven and earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom includes heaven and earth. Now we're going to work through a few basic truths today. Um, And these uh, basic truths are kind of progressive. And here's what they are. First of all, there is a God. I know some of you are thinking, shouldn't that be a capital G? Not yet. That's coming with the next point, the next truth, which is our God is the one true God, capital G. And then the third point is this. There will be consequences for rejecting the one true God. These are three core tenets of what we call our worldview. Your worldview, uh, it, it basically determines what you believe about where everything came from, why things are the way that they are, and what is going to happen to everything. That is your worldview. We believe in a, a Bible-based Christian worldview. And there are a few things that are very specific to that. And number one is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. What, what is encompassed in the kingdom of God? Again, we already said it, heaven and earth. Something that's distinguishing between, between those two things is that, that one is temporary and one is eternal. This universe is temporary. It's here for a moment, just like you and I are here for a moment. Our life is but a mist but a vapor here and then gone, but heaven is eternal. That's important for us to understand and to believe as it changes our perspective. It gives us eternal perspective because while we're occupied with this world, with the temporary, we're occupied with it as we focus on the eternal. And that's important because focus on the eternal changes the way we think, the way we speak, and the way we act here in the temporary. That is our worldview. It puts things into perspective. There are a lot of people these days that are deconstructing things about their faith, about their worldview. And you may have heard that word, maybe you haven't. It just simply means that 
um, over our life, there are these beliefs that we have in, in making up our worldview. And some people are starting to pull things back from that and say, does this really fit? Is this really important? Does this really matter? And I think deconstruction in some ways is important and it's a good thing because some of us grew up in maybe some traditions that, that don't really follow through on proper interpretation and application of scripture. And so it's important for us to, to, to know that, to think about that and say maybe this is not appropriate, right? But we must be careful because if we pull our faith apart to a degree and we start taking things out, particularly the essentials of our faith like these three points that we're going to talk about today. If we pull any one of those things out, then we no longer have a Bible-based Christian worldview. These are essential to what we believe. So these three points again, there is a God. Our God is the one true God. There will be consequences for rejecting the one true God. This last one is going to be the basis of the parable that we're going to talk about today and we're going to learn about. Now, the, the thing important to understand is that we have to go through this progression to arrive at this, this last point, okay? That there will be consequences for rejecting the one true God. Reason being, if we don't, it would be like taking a storybook and opening it to the middle and reading that the, then the villain swept in and ruined a perfectly good situation. That leaves you asking questions. Well, who's, who's the villain? And, and, and what was the situation? And who's in distress here? So it leaves questions. And so therefore, it's important for us to start at the beginning of the book and go through a progression to fully understand this last one. This played out in the early church and uh, the spreading of the gospel by Peter and Paul. You see, Peter was primarily the one that took the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jews, Paul to the Gentiles. And they would have a very different message. You see, because as Peter is telling the Jews about Jesus, they would simply say, the Messiah has come. He is Jesus Christ. He is Jesus of Nazareth. This is the one we've been waiting for. And they would understand. But if Paul went to the Gentiles and said, uh, behold, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away our sins, they, they would first of all say, well, which God? Um, and uh, what is a sin? What do you mean by sin? And, and what does a lamb have to do with anything? You see that the message is very different depending on where people are coming from. And so it's important that we go through that progression. Now, let's first off look at the parable uh, out of Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 47, the parable of the net. It says, again, let's stop there. Again, have you ever tried to explain something to someone, answered some questions to someone, and they come right back kind of asking you the same question you just answered, and you're like, I, I already answered that, but okay, and answer again. And then they ask again, are you trying to explain something to someone? Young people, have you ever tried to explain your iPhone or their iPhone to your grandparent? It takes a few times, doesn't it? And what you want to say, I, I've shown you how to open and use this app a dozen times. That's what you want to say. But in your polite tone, you say, well, again, which is a way of saying, I've told you this before, but I'm going to tell you again. And this is the language that Jesus uses here. He used it in the parable just before this, the parable of, of the pearl. And he said, again, and now he's saying again. So we get this tone kind of that Jesus is getting a point across, and he's repeated himself. Therefore, we need to pay attention. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
So in these different parables that we've been reading, we kind of get some different things from different parables, like uh, some are uh, of exhortation, encouragement to take action in some way. Some are giving us knowledge, just understanding. But this parable is a parable of warning. So if it's a parable of warning, what is it warning against? It's warning against being rejected by God. A warning against being rejected by God. That sounds pretty strong, doesn't it? To hear that God will reject. Um, and it may even sound cruel, and you think, how can a loving God reject? But I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump a little bit to the end of the message and give you a little bit of a spoiler that we'll talk in more detail about lately to tell you that God only rejects those who persist in rejecting him. So we need to understand that as we hear that God will reject some. But the other thing we have to be careful about is not, not uh, projecting our understanding of, of a rejection by people onto that of being rejected by God. What I mean is God rejects different than people do. See, many of us have been rejected by different people, different people groups, or, or any, any number of ways because of something you said, because of something you did, Maybe it was a spouse, a parent, a child, a coach, a teacher, an employer, an employee, a friend, boyfriend, girlfriend. Maybe it's something you did, maybe it's something you said. But, but then even worse, I think, is that, that some may reject you just because of who you are, where you come from, the color of your skin, something else about you, your, your, your family of origin, some of you have been rejected in, in harsh ways because of things like that. That is not the same rejection we're talking about. God only rejects those who persist in rejecting him. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, God will not reject you simply for those things. So these are warnings. Um, and we, sometimes we take warnings, sometimes we don't, right? Uh, how many of you um, heed the warning of the low fuel warning light? in your vehicle, okay? Um, so we have four drivers in my household. Uh, two of us don't like for the, the fuel to get below about like a quarter tank. And we're gonna, we're gonna put some gas in the tank. Two of us do not. Um, and they, uh, the light comes on, low fuel warning. Hey, we should probably be looking for a gas station, right? No, because it says what? Uh, it says 42 miles to empty. Well, I don't need, I've got a number here, right? Okay, no big deal. I'm starting to get anxious, okay? Then you get to the point where the number goes away, right? You go from 30 miles to empty to low. And some cars even say, get to the nearest gas station, right? But it says low, and it's like, okay, now it just says low, you don't have many miles. No, that was 10 miles ago. I had 30 miles, so I've got 20 miles to go. By now, I'm in the back seat in the fetal position because I can't take it. Some of us ignore certain warnings, right? And then there's some warnings that I don't, I don't understand. I mean, how did these come to be? There's one here that we see, a sign that says, warning, no swimming if you can't swim. <laughs> Pretty good warning, actually. Uh, but then there's another one here. <clears throat> it says, touching wires causes instant death. But it gets worse. You'll get a $200 fine for it. I think the first consequence probably is going to cover things. And, and then this last one, most appropriate for our church this morning, warning, warning, articles of value should not be left on seats whilst receiving Holy Communion. What kind of a church are you going to? Um, but then it got me thinking, this is why we stay in our seats for communion. We don't trust some of you. Oh. 
Um, some warnings I don't get. Um, some warnings I do get, though. Um, see, I, I spent some time on the trauma team as a surgical intern. And in that trauma bay, you realize that there are warnings in place for a reason. Wearing your seatbelt, wearing helmets, treating every gun as a loaded gun, right? There are warnings that are very important. And then we get this warning that we're learning about today that is the most important warning of all time for all mankind. Uh, and as a matter of fact, it's repeated in Scripture. Remember, Jesus said, again, there's another passage in Matthew 25 where he is teaching about final judgment, and he essentially lays out the same warning. He says, starting uh, in verse 31, chapter 25 of Matthew, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then jumping to verse 41, it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So you see the first, the parable talks about good fish, bad fish. This this uh, uh, account of the final judgment talks about sheep and goats, and so instantly we start to wonder what makes me a good fish, what makes me a bad fish, what makes me a sheep, what makes me a goat. And it's just one simple thing, whether you are righteous or unrighteous. And you will be judged based on whether you are righteous or unrighteous and deemed a good fish, a bad fish, a sheep, a goat. So we will all face judgment at some point in our life. Judgment reg regarding righteousness and uh, each of us that is alive will, uh, will encounter an event, one of these two events, either death or the return of Christ. And, and these accounts that we've just read about are, are called the final judgment. We will all be judged at some point. You will be judged either at your death or at the return of Christ. And again, I'm going to give you the punchline. Righteousness depends on what you do with the person of Jesus Christ. Those who place faith in Christ who receive righteousness through him, deemed righteous. This is a hard topic. Uh, again, it sounds very strong being rejected by God, and we're talking about being unrighteous, um, and uh, we don't avoid hard topics around here. We face them head on. Also, as a physician, I have to have some very difficult conversations and talk about some very hard realities. And you know, in 20 years now, uh, no one has ever said to me, hey, I kind of see where this is going, and I want you to do something. I want you to kind of sugarcoat this a little bit. I want you to make this easier to talk about because I really don't want to have to face this. So can we just kind of not really talk about the facts and what's really going on? No, 100% of the time, it's doc, I want to know everything that's going on. I, don't, I want to know what I have to expect and I want to know the reality of it all. And that's how we need to approach hard topics because it doesn't make it a go away. We will face death or judgment, death or final judgment at some point. Now, that puts us right to the third point, right? There will be consequences for rejecting, rejecting the one true God. So let's back up a little bit to, the, to the, the beginning of the story, and let's work through these other truths to help us kind of set that up. You see, we have a theistic belief, as, as Bible-based uh, uh, Bible Christian worldview is a theistic belief. Theistic meaning, meaning that we believe there is a God. You've probably heard the word atheism, or an atheistic belief that there is no God. 
And then the cousin to atheism, which is agnosticism, agnostic means no or not. Gnosis is knowledge, so we don't know or we can't know. But we believe that we can know and we do know that there is a God. Those that have an atheistic belief default into something called naturalism, meaning that you believe that all there is is nature, right? Not in a a heaven and an earth or a God, but all that exists is what we see and can experience in this universe. Naturalism at its core faces a really big problem though. And it's this principle called ex nihilo nihil fit. Now I want us to all say that five times real fast. (laughs) Ex nihilo nihil fit translates to from nothing, nothing comes. Simply means you can't get something from nothing. In other words, the universe that exists couldn't just in nature alone go from there being nothing to being something. There can't be a jump from nothing to something. That's hard for us to understand, nothingness. Have you ever tried to think about nothingness? What, what is nothingness? I think men understand nothing a little bit better than women because sometimes when you add, don't get ahead of me, sometimes when you ask us what we're thinking, right? Nothing, right? Like literally, like you can think about nothing. Yes, it's possible. But here's the thing, thinking about nothing is still something, isn't it? And, and so the, the problem with naturalism is that, uh, that some may say, well, everything came from a big bang. Most naturalists believe that there was a large explosion. There was this, this expansive space in which there was this dense matter and there was a large explosion and that's how the universe started. The problem is an expansive space with a dense matter is something, it's not nothing. There had to be something, which by the way, I wasn't there at creation, but I'm guessing when God spoke the universe into existence, it was a pretty explosive experience, right? It had to come from somewhere. Then there's something called entropy, or the second law of thermodynamics, which says that the universe is in an increasing state of disorder. Things are becoming more chaotic with time. How many of you have experienced in your home that things are becoming more chaotic with time? The more people you add and the more things, and the more time things become more chaotic. So we can kind of identify with that, right? How many of you uh, have ever been adopted by a cat? You know what I mean. You, before you, there, there's a cat, it's outside, and within a week, it's sleeping in your bed. And, and, and we, we didn't adopt, we, a cat didn't adopt us. We adopted a cat in 2019 uh, from the vet. It needed a home. So we brought it home, gave it food and water and shelter and, and love, and it slept in our bed. And, um, and so we adopted it. And, and we, you know, six of us in the household at the time, and, you know, we weren't really always all in the house at the same time, right? We have our daily activities, and every now and then a couple hours at a time, we'd all be there. But you know, more people, more stuff is chaotic, right? Then COVID and the lockdown, and for uh, two straight weeks, we're all there all at the same time. The cat before then had a pretty good life. Um, (laughs) Then enters chaos, and that cat ran away. (laughs) It said, you people are crazy. I'm going to take my chances with the coyotes. Thanks for what you've done. So we, we, didn't, we weren't adopted by a cat. We were unadopted by a cat um, because of the chaos. But the point is, things get chaotic. With more people and more things, chaos is increasing. And that's, that's the universe, right? And so things are coming unwound, so to speak. And so for things to come unwound, something or someone had to wind it up to begin with because it can't go the other direction by the laws that govern nature. Then there's the moral code that says, 
there is a difference between right and wrong, and everyone understands that. Without a moral code giver, there is no moral code. With only nature, there's only survival and no moral code. So we believe that there is a God. Now, who is that God? We believe that our God is the one true God. Who is he? Quite simply, he's the God of the Bible. He's the God of the Bible. Throughout created human history, which he outlines for us, by the way, he inspired people to write things down, which eventually was canonized into the 66 books of the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, that we believe is our, our primary source of truth. And the way that the Bible helps us to understand why we believe that our God is the one true God is threefold. First, it tells us what is, has taken place. Second, it tells us what is taking place. And third, it tells us what is going to take place. First is the Bible tells us what has taken place creation and the fall and everything that, that subsequently developed and happened as a result. And in this, it tells us very clearly why things are the way that they are. It tells us why things are the, the way that they are. No other religious writings, no other books, no other worldview can explain why things are the way that they are like the Bible can. But it can also leave us with some questions, right? When we read about what has taken place, and leave us maybe with a little doubt and some with skepticism. Concerns and questions like, well, why did God do this? Why did he do that? Why is there evil in the world? Why is there pain and suffering and trauma? Why is there rejection by mankind? And these are all questions that can leave us wondering. I believe that these questions are misdirected. You see, while we're trying to find answers in all of that, what we often try to answer the what we often try to answer is how God works, instead of answering the question why things are the way that they are. You see, no volume of books ever is going to be be able to explain how God works, because no one has the mind of God. No one ever will have the mind of God. Can't fully understand how God works, but. The Bible has very clearly explained to us why things are the way that they are. And it really can be summed up into one word, and that's sin. God did not create us in the condition that we're in. He created a perfect situation that a villain swept in and ruined, right? Sin. Sin is why things are the way that they are. So if you're looking for clarity about why this, why that, Remember that you're never going to understand how God works, but we can fully understand why things are the way that they are, and in that we can have clarity. Then the Bible tells us what is taking place. By, by that I mean what is taking place at the time that it took place. And, and throughout created human history, as people wrote things down that are canonized into Scripture, those things can be compared to other historical writings. And now we have archaeological findings that confirmed what was taking place and was written about in Scripture as valid. So we have uh, valid historical value of the Bible. And then lastly, it tells us, this is my favorite, what is going to take place. All through the writings of Scripture, we get hundreds of prophecies that have been fulfilled. So what is, going what is going to take place was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago and then hundreds of years after that, but still hundreds of years ago. Now it was fulfilled so we can read the writing of it and the filling of that account of it taking place hundreds of times, culminating in the person of Jesus Christ. Fulfilled prophecy about a Messiah that was coming, that would come, that came, 
and uh, the prophecy about the circumstances into which he would be born, the family he would be born from, where he would be born, how he would live and how he would die, that he was and is the Messiah. The Bible tells us what is going to take place. And with that, we remember there will be consequences for rejecting the one true God, what is going to take place. Remember, he will only reject those who persist in rejecting him. Back in our parable that we read, it said the angels will come out and separate, this is again, this is what, will t- what is going to take place, and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, that place being hell, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Another hard topic, right? Hell. It's hard for us to fully comprehend hell. We, we've heard twice that it's going to be pretty hot there. Right, a fiery furnace, and, and there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, what's the weeping and gnashing of, of teeth? Well, as we, we think about the, maybe the physical aspect of hell, I think maybe it's more important to understand the spiritual aspect of hell and really what is the essence of hell. Hell is a place, but the essence of hell is the absence of God, the, the absence of the source of goodness, the source of peace, the source of joy, all, all that is good. The absence of that, that is the essence of hell. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And Matthew 25.41 that we already read says, Depart from me and get out of my presence, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And that's pretty tough. Again, a hard topic. Hard subject, but there's always good news right? There's always good news. God only rejects those who persist in rejecting him. What I mean by that is that as we stand rejecting God, remember, each of us will face, face either death or final judgment. And if we persist in rejecting God, that is the moment of judgment. That is when God will reject. But until then, there's hope. Ecclesiastes 9.4 says, but he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. And, and who does God hope uh, repents and is saved? Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all, who? All should reach repentance. And when we repent, we receive something called atonement. Atonement. You see, when Christ created mankind, man... Uh, brought sin into the world, there was a separation or a, a, a gap between God and man because holy God can't be in the immediate direct presence of sin. Again, that's hell, right? If God's there. Um, here on earth, we experience both joy and sorrow. We kind of get a taste of heaven and hell. And, and God can't be in the presence. Therefore, there was, there was a divide, a distance between God and man. And, and God then sends Jesus who stands before us with open arms in an accepting, not rejecting posture. God stands before us in the form of Jesus in an accepting posture. Those who persist in their rejection of Christ are the ones who will be judged unrighteous. You see, we're born into sin and therefore we default with a rejecting posture. And it's at some point that we have to lower our guard and embrace Christ. 
to be deemed righteous. And what does that look like? How, how do we embrace Christ? We confess and believe. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from judgment of being unrighteous. See, that's what atonement is. Atonement literally means at one unity, the embracing of Christ. And once you embrace Christ and you have that atonement, then your judgment's done. Whenever you taste death or when final judgment comes, you're deemed righteous. Therefore, you will never be rejected by God. This last passage we're going to look at, I think, is my favorite in uh, as Jesus is talking about heaven, the kingdom of God, right, which is, is heaven and earth and, and, and how things work around here and how things work around here being heaven and earth. And this last passage talking about this gap, this bridge between heaven and earth. In Matthew chapter 10, 32, he says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father in heaven. Folks, this is the way things work around here in God's kingdom. If you've never placed faith in Christ, um, we will have a prayer team down front here at the end of the service. Um, our prayer would be that you would come forward and at least ask questions if you're not ready to make a commitment to confess and believe. If you have questions, we want those answered and we want to walk through that with you. If you have placed faith in Christ, I want to kind of call back to the first few messages in this series. And the first one um, Adam talked about uh, evidences of faith. So if you're wheat or weeds, and there should be evidence in your life. And I'm not going to rehash that. He did a great job of that, and you can, can look back on that. If you wonder, what, what should be fulfilled in my life, or what should be flowing from my life if, if I have received that, that justification? Um, and last week, uh, Ted talked about uh, the treasure that our salvation. Have you experienced the joy? Have you taken joy in your salvation or was it just a, well, I hear about this hell place, therefore I'm going to let my guard down, but I'm still pretty guarded. Um, have, you, have you experienced the joy of your salvation? And by that, have you sold everything, not literally selling everything that you own, but, but sold out emotionally, spiritually, mentally for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you sold out and bought into this treasure that you have in your salvation? So two questions for pondering uh, for those that have placed faith in Christ. So we understand there is a God, number one. Number two, our God is the one true God. And this hard truth, but a truth still, is that there will be consequences for rejecting the one true God. But thanks be to God who gave us Christ, who gives us atonement so that we can be deemed righteous and not be judged unrighteous. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're grateful for the gift that you have given us in Christ, that you have open arms waiting to embrace those that will come. Pray for those that are uh, considering faith, Lord, that have questions that they would understand that we will never clearly know and understand how you work, but we can have perfect clarity as to why things are the way they are, and that is, God, because of sin. And I pray for uh, those that have been rejected, that they can understand that, uh, Lord, they will never be rejected by you the way that people have rejected them, that they would understand once they have placed faith in you that there is no rejection. There is the embrace of your son Christ that brings us into eternal life with you in heaven. We love you. We give you praise. It's in Christ's name. And everyone agreed and said amen. amen. Don't forget your Easter invitations and come at 815 or 1145. We love you.